going to turn again to the Bible, but don't worry, only, only four verses this time. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 8, um, where Paul pick, actually picks up. Um, it's not what this chapter is famous for, but Paul picks up on this idea um, of a sin offering for these unintentional sins. So let's read Romans 8, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we do give you thanks for your word. And you teach us that all of your word is breathed out by yourself and useful to us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would focus our hearts just now and speak to us the words you want us to say. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things uh, that nobody told me before um, I had children was just how much I would learn from them as they grew up. Um, I thought it would sort of be the other way around. You know, you're meant to bring them up. But, but sometimes um, they teach me the odd thing or two. Um, if you don't know, I'm a dad to three girls, um, and they teach us so much about goodness and kindness and, and what it is truly to be innocent um, every single day. And they also teach us things about our faith. You know, um, Jesus talked about having a childlike faith. And in fact, anyone who doesn't have faith like one of these little children um, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we bring them up in the faith. Um, we are their parents and they just trust us and they accept what we teach them. And we hope that one day they'll fully understand these things um, and they'll make that faith their own. But it's not just positive things about our faith that our children teach us. Our children remind us every day that human beings are, by nature, sinful. Um, somebody said to me that uh, having one child convinces you of the doctrine of original sin, and having two children convinces you of the doctrine of complete depravity. If children, if I hadn't, if I hadn't believed them before I had children, I certainly believe in it now. No one taught them to argue about every possible subject under the sun that you can imagine. No one taught them to swing for one another. No one taught them um, to, to put all their energy into kicking us when we're trying to change their nappy and they don't fancy it. But I was chatting with Justine during the week and we were just saying how they teach us about the subject we're looking at this morning of unintentional sin. I'll tell you what I mean. Earlier this week in school, my daughter Sarah was listening to the teacher and they were working with their whiteboard so she had a marker in her hand and she had the lid off and as she was listening to the teacher she was just scratching herself with her marker on her front and she just sat I don't know how long she sat there for just making a mark on her jumper and the teacher came out to us at the end of school very shamefaced and said you're, you, I'm really sorry but this brand new jumper brand new in September completely ruined any advice on how to get whiteboard marker out, gratefully accepted. Last week I was at my parents' house, um, as I often am on a Sunday, 
And the two of them were upstairs playing nicely together. They were pretending it was nighttime. They closed the curtains. They got into bed. They turned the light on so that they could turn the light off at the end of the night. And as Sarah turned the light off and walked across to her bed, she stood on her sister's face. Completely unintentional. Completely accidental. Innocent. But careless and frustrating because it's frustrating for us as parents because you want to choke them but you realize you realize that actually behind it all she didn't mean it there's no point in telling her don't stand on your sister's face because she didn't mean to stand on her sister's face she was just walking across to your bed but whether these sins were intentional or not they have consequences don't they whether it's a, a ruined uh, school sweatshirt or a screaming sister to deal with and, you know, she can learn from it. She can maybe learn to be a bit more careful. It's still a serious issue, but it's not intentional. And in Leviticus 4 and 5, we see how God deals with unintentional and careless sin. And we're going to look maybe a little bit more next week at, at those intentional sins. That's the guilt offering. But we'll see this week that even though it might be unintentional, it might be done by mistake, um, we might not even know about it until someone else points it out to us it still has very serious consequences. And this is something that all of us have in our lives. Um, in Psalm 19, verse 2, the psalmist asks the Lord to forgive our hidden faults, or as the contemporary English version puts it, none of us know our faults. Forgive me when I sin without knowing it. And because we all sin in this way, these sacrifices um, in the Old Testament were mandatory for the people. The ones we looked at last week and were completely voluntary for people to do whenever they wanted. They were under no obligation, but they offered them freely. You know, the burnt offering acknowledged, you know, Lord, you're holy. I'm not. Here's my worship and my offering for my sin. The grain offering recognized that God was good in providing for the people. And so we, we, the people gave that back to God to show appreciation. The fellowship offering recognized the peace and fellowship that people enjoyed in the community. Remember that the people actually got to eat part of that offering, they got to take part in it too. Lord, I'm part of your community. Thank you for what you have done. And these were offered voluntarily. But because everybody sinned, even unintentionally, this offering, the offerings that we read about, were mandatory. They were compulsory whenever the person became aware of their sin. But before we dive into to look at these um, sacrifices, and as I say, we're not going to go through it in great detail, um, the NIV translates this as sin offering, and most of our translations do actually. Um, but I think a better word to think about this um, is as the purification offering. Now, who cares? Are we splitting hairs about the translation of a word here? Well, the point is this. God lived among his people, and he's holy. He can't tolerate unholiness. Um, and the word used for sin here is, is the word used for missing, for missing the mark. It literally means to miss. And this is related to holiness. And this can happen when people sin. Yes, by all means. But it can also happen when people become unclean. We read a little bit about this in Leviticus 5, verse 2, for example. It says, if a person touches anything ceremonially unclean, whether the carcasses of unclean wild animals or of unclean livestock or of unclean creatures that move along the ground, even though he is unaware of it, he has become unclean and is guilty. Now, the reason why these things would make you unclean, we'll come to that in future weeks. Um, I think in these specific cases, it's because the animals are, are dead and God is a God of life. But thankfully, because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to think about these things making us unclean. 
but it is important for us to start it on the right foot. So I'm going to call it the purification offering this morning rather than the sin offering because it doesn't always deal with sin. This is the offering that women have to offer, for example, after giving birth. It's, it's the offering you're to offer after touching a carcass of an animal, um, if you've come into contact with bodily fluids. So th- these things aren't sin. They're not sin. So a, a purification offering is a better name for it. So when it says in the text that a person sins unintentionally, really what it says is that the person has missed the mark unintentionally. That might be by a sin but they've made a mistake. In fact, the ESV, I think, in the footnotes offers that as an alternative translation when somebody makes a mistake. It might be by sin. It might be by becoming unclean. So it's the purification offering. I hope you've got all that. That, that, That's the background to it this morning. The purification offering, it's for things that are done unintentionally. And it's for everyone because it happens to everyone. So let's get into this this morning. What we're looking at is two different ways of missing the mark. The first is unintentional. So verse 1 of Leviticus 4, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, and so on. So it's unintentional sin. When you open your mouth, not meaning to offend someone, and it comes out all wrong, you think, that sounded better in my head. It didn't sound so mean when I thought about it. Or when you accidentally leave someone out, you forget about them and you hurt them in that way unintentional sin, like Sarah sitting, just listening to her teacher, drawing on her jumper, completely unintentional. She didn't mean it. She didn't even know she was doing it, but it happened, and it was still her fault, and it still had consequences. And the second way of missing the mark then is slightly different, and it's through being careless, not just unintentional, but careless. Chapter 5, verse 1, if a person sins because he doesn't speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. So the the idea here is that somebody has been called forward to testify in a a case, some sort of dispute, but they think, oh, well, I'll, I'll not bother. Sure, that doesn't really matter. I'm sure they'll prove the case without me. Or verse 4, if a person thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though he is unaware of it, in any case when he learns of it, he will be guilty. This is the case if somebody had an argument with their neighbor and, and maybe they just couldn't be bothered listening to them anymore, so they just thought, you know what, we'll go along to the tent of meeting together, I'll swear an oath to put things right just to get their neighbor off their back. And then they forgot about it. They made the vow carelessly, but they'd broken a vow made before the Lord. It was careless sin. The Lord takes this accidental or or careless sin very seriously, Um, but there does seem to be different levels here of seriousness. If the high priest sins, that's the anointed priest, um, it's going to affect all the people. In fact, that's, that's what it says. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. So the priest is the one offering the sacrifices. So if he makes a mistake, if he becomes unclean or sins accidentally, well, when he offers his sacrifices, then those sacrifices are no longer perfect. He has been consecrated to be a priest, so he's been made holy to go into that place, and this sin taints that. So all the people suffer in the same way if the whole community sins. um, it, It affects absolutely everybody. So I suppose biblical examples would be when the people of Israel worshipped the golden calf or when the Gibeonites tricked them into a battle and they didn't consult the Lord. 
And, and these are most serious, whether it's just the priest or whether it's everybody, because in both cases they affect everybody. So you have this idea of a young bull being required. Now, this is very foreign to us, I understand, but, but a young bull would be the most costly sacrifice. In fact, if you think about that famous incident with the golden calf, um, that gives you an example of how precious they would have seen these animals to be. Um, bull, probably about a year old, not, not something that's just been born, probably about a, a year old or thereabouts, just coming up to full strength, a very costly animal. And then after the priest slaughters this animal, you might notice in those first two um, cases, the priest's sin and the whole people's sin, he has to go into the tent of meeting and sprinkle the blood seven times before the curtain of the Lord. He doesn't have to do that in any of the other cases. Um, the number seven in the Bible is significant. It, it shows some kind of um, completeness. We have seven days in the creation story. Um, we have the seven spirits of God in Revelation. We've been looking in the evenings, seven um, stars, seven lampstands, and so on. Seven is an important number. Um, in fact, it's probably why the number 666 is seen as the number um, of the beast, because it's trying to get to seven and it just never quite gets there. So seven is really complete. And, and, and so the, the priest has to go in and sprinkle this blood seven times to signify that this cleansing is very thorough. And then he has to go outside the camp to burn the animal. The priest can't eat the meat of this offering because he is guilty. Um, one commentator said it would be like robbing a bank taking the money away and, and then seeing a police sign saying, you know, reward 10,000 pounds for information relating to this robbery. And then going into the station, handing the money back and getting the 10,000 pounds reward. It would be ridiculous, you wouldn't do it. So the, if the priest is at fault here, if the whole people are at fault, including the priest, he can't do that. So the animal is burnt outside the camp. The next serious offender um, is a leader from the community, maybe somebody who oversees a smaller number of people. Uh, and you see these steps going down now. So it's a slightly less precious animal, a male goat, a slightly different ritual. There's no sprinkling seven times anymore. The priest goes in in front of the curtain, but he just puts some blood on the horns of the altar. And the horns represent the whole thing. So if you put it on the horns, you put it on the whole thing. There's forgiveness, the offering's burned up, and the priest and the offerer can eat the meat. It says in verse 26, it's the same as the fellowship offering. And then we see the ordinary person. There's the same provision. Again, a step down, a female goat or a lamb, or if they can't afford that, two birds. And if they're even very, very poor and can't afford that, they can bring flour. So this is, this is for everyone. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this provision is made for everybody. But forgiveness is also for everybody. So don't misunderstand this. Don't think that if you're not a leader, well, then your sin is less important. That's not the case. It's simply the point that the more people are affected, the higher the sacrifice that is required. The high priest's sin affects everybody. Um, the, the whole community's sin obviously involves the whole community. A leader, well, that affected some people in the community, and maybe an individual sin only affected himself or a few people. So it's open up to everybody from the top right down to the very poor. Now you can breathe a sigh of relief at this stage because that's, that's our work on the text on, okay? That's, hopefully we understand what's going on now. We've worked out what a purification offering is, an unintentional or careless sin becoming unclean. And then we've worked our way through the sacrifices. So we've done that from the high priest to the poorest of the poor. But what does this then have to say to us as Christians? 
thousands of years later. What application does it have for us? Well, the first thing I think it shows us is that we need to take sin seriously because we have a tendency to play down our sin. It's in our nature to say, oh, well, it's not so bad. And especially when it's unintentional, you think to yourself, well, I didn't even know about that sin. I didn't mean to do it. I, 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 in fact, somebody had to point it out to me. Surely I can't be to blame for that. I didn't even mean it. I was just a bit careless. I was just a bit tired, whatever our excuse is. But I would ask the question, who is to blame for the marker stains on Sarah's uniform? Sarah is. It might seem a bit mean, but Sarah is. It was careless. She didn't mean it, but she still did it. And sometimes this is even worse for us when we become Christians because we become maybe a bit carefree about it. Sure, we're forgiven. We'll be forgiven for it. Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future. It's what he does. So we become very relaxed about it. We say, look, I can't help it. I can't beat this sin. I just sort of fell into that relationship, but sure, here we are now. It is what it is. Sure, it's okay. I have to say that it, it troubles me greatly um, as a preacher and um, that three out of the last four times I've preached, basically the main topic has been sin. With the exception of the mustard seed, I've covered the, the narrow and the wide roads, which is about obeying Jesus. Then last Sunday night, the first letter in Revelation to the church in Ephesus, they'd lost their first love, they'd fallen into sin. And then this today. I've thought very seriously about that this week. I don't decide the preaching schedule but I can't help but get the feeling that there's something here that the Lord doesn't want us to miss. We read in Romans 8 that we're not meant to live anymore according to our sinful nature, but instead to live according to the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God is telling us through the Word that God takes our sin seriously, so seriously that He was willing to send His own Son and sacrifice Him to deal with it, then we, we just can't go on taking sin flippantly whether that's sin in our own lives or in the community, in the church family. The second takeaway point, I think, is that sin matters in leadership. And you might think to yourself at this point, well, John, you can talk to yourself for the next couple of minutes, and this doesn't apply to me. Well, some of you are leaders, of course, leaders in other organizations, elders. Um, and it's very true that, that I need to think about this. James says in the New Testament, um, not everyone should become teachers of the word because those of us who preach will be judged more strictly. I'm quite scared by that, and it's something that we ought to take seriously. And it's true because the sin of leaders often does hurt people. I'm sure you can think of examples where church leaders have, have sinned and it has really damaged congregations. But this applies to all of us too, because we're all leaders in some way. Maybe it's in our homes or in our friendship groups. Even if it's not obvious, we do have influence on the people around us. The point is, yes, that sin matters in leadership, but also that our sin always affects other people. When we sin, it affects others, and that is especially true if we're in a position of leadership. I used to work in, in Tesco um, many years ago. Um, other supermarkets are available, but it was a very small store, and um, what went on in the staff really was something like a soap opera. Um, when I started working there, I found out very soon that one of the managers um, was sleeping with one of my colleagues, someone who was under his supervision. Um, and that didn't end well because of a particular sin on his part. Well, anyway, it didn't end well. 
So his sin hurt her, and, and she wouldn't speak to him. She wouldn't work with him. Some of her colleagues decided they were on her side, and they did the same. So there was a whole fallout in the store, and there was a fallout in the management because they were annoyed with this guy who'd, who'd messed everything up. But then he started going out with someone else at work. And the girl who had been going out with him the first time, well, she got very jealous about all this, you see. So she started going out with her ex-boyfriend. So they'd basically done wife swap, but without being married. And then the whole thing blew up. Both new relationships didn't last and it all started with a sin. You might say a private sin, but it affected the whole staff, the whole shop. Arguably, it affected the customers. Um, and one of those girls in particular was so miserable at the end of it all that she left. Sin in leadership has a reach far, far beyond the individual person. It can happen in a church, sadly, when someone in a position of leadership has a public fall from grace, a sexual sin, or some sort of financial impropriety. It damages whole churches and communities. Sometimes it's more subtle than those big sins. Sometimes a leader is controlling or is a bully. It hurts whole churches. In fact, sometimes churches cease to exist over it. There have been a number of high-profile examples of that, especially over in the States in, in recent years, if you follow that sort of thing. But integrity in leadership matters. And those in a position of leadership, whether it's church, whether it's a job, if you're in a shop or wherever you work or at home, we need to think very seriously about sin, even the unintentional stuff or just a general careless attitude towards it because the damage can be monumental. We can't afford to take sin lightly and not least if we're in leadership. But thirdly and, and finally, these sacrifices in Leviticus point us to the wonderful grace that we find in Jesus Christ for us all. We do need to take our sin very seriously. God took it so seriously that he sent his son to die to bring us back to him and sort it out. But the good news of the gospel is that he has done that. Just as from the, the high priest to the poorest of the poor, there was a way for everybody in Israel to be forgiven and to dwell with the holy God again. So in Christ, there's a way for everyone who would come to him to be forgiven. I quoted a verse from Romans 3 earlier, but here's the rest of the verse. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The word atonement simply means that there's a, there's a penalty to be paid, but the person who is owed the debt, well, they decide to accept something else as a payment instead, and then they cancel the debt. We owed a debt we couldn't pay, the punishment for our sin, the intentional ones and the unintentional and the careless, and Jesus laid down his life, and God accepted that sacrifice as atonement for our sins so we can be forgiven. Paul says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We read in Romans 8 earlier, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And, and that phrase, sin offering, is the same phrase from Leviticus. He's talking about this purification offering, this sin offering for unintentional sins. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
And this is in part why we don't worry about all those laws about uh, cleanness and touching carcasses and so on, because Jesus is the sin offering. He's the purification offering. So if we trust in him, we're, we're clean from all that, no matter what. God's abundant forgiveness deals with all our sin, not just the intentional stuff that we might think about, but also the unintentional and casual sin too. So to bring it all together, we have a great inclination towards sin, and we will for as long as we live on this earth. Even after we become Christians and sin isn't our master anymore, we fight against unintentional sins as well as the intentional The fight might be more obvious against the intentional ones, but we will still experience the unintentional. But we can pray to the Lord and confess that we have sins that we don't know about and pray with the psalmist, forgive my hidden faults. We need to recognize how, just how seriously God views this because our casual sin is no casual issue to him. But as we recognize that we receive forgiveness because of the sacrifice of Jesus, it's written on the wall behind me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray together. Our Lord, as we come before your word and truly examine ourselves, we see at times our careless attitude to sin. Lord, we see the the unintentional and the almost automatic sins in our lives. But Lord, we give you thanks that you sent Christ Jesus into the world as that great purification offering, the one who covered our guilt from our sins that we know about. But Lord, we give you thanks that his sacrifice was complete and total, that you um, destroyed in him sin in the sinful flesh, all of it, Lord, even the sins that we don't know about. And so, Lord, we do pray this morning that you would forgive our hidden faults, even the things that we don't see. Lord, help us to see them so that we can rid ourselves of them and become more Christ-like. But, Lord, as we confess our sin, we give you thanks for those great words of comfort and truth that because of your righteousness and justice, you forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so boldly we come before you, Lord, as your accepted and loved children. Lord, we give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.